And there's so many different business models out there. You got to be able to pick the right one that's going to be able to get you potentially to reach the result or the lifestyle that you want. Don't go down the wrong road. Don't waste a year doing the wrong thing. Because every year that we waste doing the wrong thing, it really costs you two years. Welcome to 7 to 8, our special series on seven and eight figure speakers. In this interview series, some of the hottest speakers in the industry who've made over seven figures in a year or less will uncover their twists and turns in their adventures, helping you to avoid the potholes and stick to the fast track. Welcome now to center stage, our next guest speaker. Hey there, peeps. This is Michelle Nedelec, and I'm super glad that you're here with us today because I am here with my most amazing guest, Tony. Tony, thank you so much for being here with us today. Hey, Michelle, thanks for the opportunity. I look forward to getting to know you a little bit better and also hopefully giving some information to your audience. Absolutely. That's what we're open for. So let's start with a highlight of who you are and what you do for business. I am a business coach, and I'm also a leader of a community of entrepreneurs with about 4,000 members. And I do masterminds, live destination type getaway events, and I also speak in different entrepreneur business type conferences around the country. Nice. So how did you get into that as a thing? It came as a, a indirect way. I think that I started my first company in 2001. I'm very successful with building these large communities in the automotive performance space. I built a community with 300,000 members. And then I built another community with 270,000 members. And now I'm more focused on just purely on the business principles. And, you know, the last 15 years, I've been mentoring and coaching some of the people that were my direct you know, former staff members or friends and had to help them build seven and eight figure companies. And they're always telling me that I should be doing this full time, but I had all the excuses not to. I had a very successful business, a family, a corporate career, oil and gas engineering. And I just really just didn't want to be in the public limelight. I didn't like the way I looked on the camera. I didn't like the way I sounded. I didn't want to be on any kind of videos and things like that. So I just made those convenient excuses not to do that. So I just kept it privately. And 2015, I had a near-death experience racing cars. I'm a car fanatic. And after that, I started realizing that our time is very valuable and that no day is guaranteed and that I needed to be creating more impact in the world because I just didn't want to be remembered as a nice rich guy with cool cars because I could have impacted far more people while I'm here. So I kind of shifted. I left corporate in 2015 with that accident. I started really thinking about what do I want to do with the rest of my life. And only two things I've really been passionate about my entire life is business and cars because I grew up broke and I had to do business to try to find a way to have, be able to afford the things that I wanted to have in my life. And so I just kind of got really good at that and studied it. And I'm eternally a student of it. So now I have a lot of energy around that. And I like to teach people to do that. I love it. So 365 Driven, how did you come up with that as a name? It's a brand. It's just, you think about it, it's daily driven. It's kind of a, a pun going back to the automotive side, but it's also the gear kind of as a throwback to the automotive background that I've had. And, you know, just it's a, it's an easy thing I think about mantras with branding. If you if I were to walk up to a perfect stranger and ask them, "Hey, are you 365 driven?" They would probably know what that meant generally and they'd be like, "Yeah, I guess daily driven. Yeah, I am. Yeah, that's me." So, when you create a brand for a community, you always want to make something that they can wear, they can stand behind that speaks for them. It's kind of like if they're going to put a bumper sticker on their car, you need to be the one that creates the bumper sticker for them. I love it. Love it. Love it. Well, yes, and it it's um it's one of those things that always amazes me when people tattoo other businesses' logos on their body. It's like, wow, that that's devotion right there. But you do have a pretty hot 
logo there. So I, I'm thinking that, you know, if anybody's going to be tattooing anything, that might be a runner up or at least putting in as a bumper sticker on their car. So uh, talk to me about the, the coaching that you do. Who do you typically work with? I would say that my ideal customers generally are the seven figure earners or the high six figure earners. They're people that have seen a little bit of success. They've got maybe a little bit of momentum in the past. Maybe they're kind of plateauing. They're figuring out like, hey, I, I need to get to that next level. We've been in the same position for five years, 10 years, or maybe they're struggling with different aspects of their life outside of business. Maybe their health and their fitness is fading. Their relationships aren't really where they should be. Their mindset's not very clear. So I'm really positioned more as a high performance coach. And I'll find that even through my business practice of being a, a quote business coach, about 70% of the conversations really go around the individual because I realize and they realize that without the high performance for them at an individual level, their company is really not going to get to the point that they want to be. And you know, it's really a lot of hard work for us to be able to evolve and become the right person that we are to be able to carry that message and the vision forward to be able to grow through to the places we want our companies to be. I love it. And through, I've been saying it a lot lately, but through the podcast, I am learning that for almost everybody I've talked to say that it's around that 70% of somebody's business growth is their mindset. And Absolutely. it really comes down to kind of how do we get out of our own ways? So what are some of the ways that you help people with that to be able to kind of, how do they overcome that? What are your principles? You know, a lot of small business owners are unfortunately, they're self-employed. They're not really business owners. They basically created their own way to pay themselves and instead of working for somebody else. It's a great way to start, but people do that for their entire careers and they can never take time off. They've got a lot of stress. They're trying to balance payroll and overhead costs. They've got turnover in their employees. So there's all these things because they're deeply rooted in the operational activities of their company. Instead of farming that out or actually paying other people at a much less rate than their value to be able to do those things for them. And I find that a lot of times people are really just scared to spend money. Maybe you're in a position in your business where you're not really making enough money to justify, you know, that's what they say, to hire somebody. But the reality is that if you hire the right people, they're going to bring you profit. They're going to create that return on your investment. And they're also going to free up some of your time. So Think about this. If you're still doing administrative work and you're the CEO, you're the highest compensated administrative assistant in the country, and you're probably not really good or enthusiastic about your job. So you're you're highly compensated and you're not really good at what you're doing. So would you keep yourself as an employee in that role? The answer is no, you wouldn't. So you need to be really aware of these things and start to figure out how do I fire myself? And that's just creating processes and systems and putting those in place, having the roles and responsibilities clearly defined for your each of your roles in your, your company, and then dishing those things off as you start to grow, because you're going to find that, hey, I'm, I'm spending way too many hours on this administrative stuff, 15 hours a week on that stuff. I can just get rid of that. Go hire somebody part-time, a, a virtual assistant if you have to, if it's, a, if it's a budgetary issue, but get it off your plate have the processes and systems for those people to learn and how to operate those things. And you're going to find that you have a lot more free time and a lot more mental capacity to go be the visionary and start focusing on the company growth instead of trying to operate everything. Absolutely. I, I, I know that intimately well when we decided that I should become project manager for our clients and went, okay, um, had a little team powwow and went, okay, our project manager is useless and she really needs to be fired. <laughs> It's not working out for I'm any like, of dang us. It, that's, I'm looking at her right in the mirror. <laughs> exactly. I'm thinking she'll be okay with it. Maybe we could just, yeah. you know, give her a different position where she's actually good at it and, and life is good. So, yeah. yes. And when when it comes to, um, 
And I'm thinking a lot of people have issues having that conversation, especially when it's somebody else, especially if they've hired a friend, uh, especially if it's a family member. <laughs> How do you help people um, having those conversations, especially initially? I mean, because I think initially people think they're doing something bad by firing them. And in my experience, every time I've been fired, it was an awesome thing. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the thing is, is that. Anybody that's been fired before or laid off, you know, for other than financial reasons of a company, think about this, that you knew that was going to happen. If you were ever literally fired, you you, you fire yourself. Like, and if those of you that have fired people, most of them were not shocked when that happened. They knew that was coming and they kind of just been just doing the bare minimum and kind of just skirting by and seeing how far they could push the boundaries and break the rules and and they finally, the rules catch up to them and then they have the consequences and they're not shocked. So, you know, I always think about that is if they're a low performer in your company, it's probably the seat that they're sitting in. They're just not really good at that role. Maybe you're turning them free to go find the thing that they actually can be really good at, because I believe that everybody is good at something. Even your worst employee that you may have had in your past is probably exceptional at something. So when you free them up by firing them, they're actually free to go find that thing that they may actually be exceptional at. You know what? That's going to provide them actually a more fulfilling life and a more happy life because they feel like they're being productive. They're doing what they meant to, that they're meant to be doing. Nice. Love it. So when you're working with your, um, your business owners, you said you were taking them on, um, excursions or uh, trips. When you're doing that, do, do you have kind of a focus for those? Is it kind of a mind meld? What goes on in your retreats? Yeah, we keep our events small so that there's good networking opportunities. They're usually three to four days long. We always look at destination type locations because we also realize that entrepreneurship People are just horrible at taking vacation. I, can, I know guys that have eight-figure companies. They're making 10-plus million revenue a year, and they haven't had vacation in years. And that's ridiculous because part of the reason for us to become business owners in the first place is to be able to have that freedom, to be able to go do things that we want, to be able to spend the money and the earnings that we create for ourselves instead of having to ask for permission to take vacations and things like that. So you know, for anyone that's building businesses that isn't really doing that kind of stuff, it's like, why are you doing this? It might be less stressful. You actually may even earn more just working at a job for somebody if you're going to work crazy hours like that. So we've done the hiking in Montana at the Whitefish you know, National Park we've in uh, Glacier National Park. We did some whitewater rafting there. We've hiked in the Zion Canyons in Utah. We've rented out a racing school facility and had driver racing training in Arizona. We've also done one in Cancun, Playa del Carmen area, had like the beach scene. And our next event is going to be in Portugal, likely in June this year. So we're always trying to think about these kind of things. And I always bring speakers that will actually hang out. I'm a speaker myself. One of the most annoying things that you'll have is speaking events is that these speakers with the big egos will come in. They'll they'll dance on the stage and then they're just like, ah, oh, I got to go. And they're out of there. Nobody even networks with them. Nobody even gets their photo with them. No one even has a conversation with them. I don't invite those kind of speakers to my events. I'll say, hey, if you're going to come to my event, you're going to come to my event. You're going to do the hiking. You're going to do the excursions. You're going to have meals with us. You're going to hang out. And I'll tell you, from the speaker's perspective and the attendee's perspective, they love that because like, dude, they're like, this is amazing. Like we get to hang out and they actually build real bonds. And that's who I am. I'm a community builder. I'm here to facilitate you guys becoming best friends, even if I'm not in that triangle. All right. That's awesome. Well, and it's kind of funny that you mentioned that because our my last speaking retreat in person, we were actually in Portugal and the speakers hung out for for the seven days and it was fantastic. It was so much fun. Excellent. Where'd you guys go in Portugal? 
we uh, we flew in at the big city and then we went down to the bottom and and hung out along the the coast there and then we drove down to gibraltar and then into spain after those seven days yeah it was fantastic gorgeous gorgeous like banks uh the ocean like i've never seen it before portugal and spain are my wife and i our favorite place to be we've been all over europe many different places and we've been to both of them a couple times now but portugal and spain definitely yeah gotta hit them awesome so talk to me about your book Yep, go ahead. Yeah, Yeah, the book's called Side Hustle Millionaire. It actually came out in 2018, but it's a perfect book for if if you're that person that's just getting started with your business or if it's someone that you know, has all the ideas like, oh, someday I'm going to start a business and they got all these big ideas because we like to pat ourselves on the back because we have ideas. But I hate to tell you, ideas are worthless until you execute on them. The graveyard is full of thousands of ideas that were never materialized, if you think of it that way. So this book tells you how to look at each of your ideas, how to evaluate each of those against each other to figure out which one's going to be the best odds for your success based on your personal goals and your your, your financial goals and your freedom, your time freedom goals. And we start to figure out that. So it becomes like this handholding type thing where it's like, okay, now you got the idea. How do you get funding? How do you create the LLC? How do you come up with the brand? What should you have on your website? Are you using social media properly? How do you get your messaging across? So ideally the book's perfect for the zero to the $1 million range. <laughs> I love it. And, and I, I love that it's a side hustle millionaire mm-hmm. in that there's so many businesses trying to get to that million dollar mark. Mm-hmm. And, and it seems to be very elusive for them. Why in your experience, is it elusive for them? I think the main reason that most people never hit the seven figure mark in their business is because they start with a business model that doesn't deliver that potential. They do things that require a lot of their sweat equity, a lot of their time. It doesn't scale very well. I can't hire employees. I mean, especially you creative people. I'm a creative person myself, but if you're a creator and you're you know, resting solely on your own skills and your own mechanical thing or your own art or your own this, you can only do one of you. Like, and Unless you can create processes and systems for people to duplicate your effort, it's never going to scale. So I made some of those mistake companies early on. I'm not impervious to this thing. I remember building these little electronic widgets for cars on my kitchen table every night. It would take me about an hour to build each one and I'd make like 50 bucks profit per one. So like, yeah, cool, 50 bucks an hour. But there was two problems with that business model. I had a very limited customer base that actually people wanted those. I might have sold like four or five a week. That was it. Like I had the market. And then it took a lot of time to build those things. And so I didn't have the big market for the thing or the demand that for that product. And it took a lot of time. I couldn't just teach somebody else to how to do this kind of stuff. So that would have never became a seven-figure business. I mean, that would have been a purely a dabbling hobby side hustle. Now, the other thing is the, the side hustle. You know, the title, you talked about side hustle millionaire. I literally built seven-figure businesses. I sold those for millions of dollars net. And those are the things I did in my part time. And most people, when they think about side hustles, the word kind of side is kind of like this ironic thing. It's like side hustle and I got this job. Well, for about a period of five years, my side businesses were actually creating more income than my corporate career. And I actually had a very high paying corporate career, but I was making a lot more of my businesses. So the mindset shift you got to have is realizing that just because something takes less of your time doesn't mean that it has earned less of your money. That was a really awareness moment that I learned, fortunately, in my late 20s that, you know, time and dollars have nothing to do with each other. Like quit trading your units of time for units of dollars. Quit thinking that if you need more money, you got to pick up extra shifts, get a second job, work overtime. That's how I used to live. 
you start realizing that there's better ways of doing these things. And there's so many different business models out there. You got to be able to pick the right one that's going to be able to get you potentially to reach the result of the lifestyle that you want. Don't go down the wrong road. Don't waste a year doing the wrong thing. Because every year that we waste doing the wrong thing, it really costs you two years because now you got to go start something else up and then have that other year learning curve, getting back into that and then catching up where you would have been. So don't waste your time. Do things the right way. I love it. So talk to me about that time when you had the corporate gig and the side hustle, because in my experience, being an employee is very much there's different rules to the game. There's different mindsets. And then to flip the everything over and go, and I'm going to do it the exact opposite when I leave here tonight. How did you manage that balance? I think I'm a, a little weird in this regard, but every job I've ever had, including my minimum wage high school job, which was McDonald's, I was always aware of processes and systems. And what, I mean, I'm working at McDonald's, it's the number one franchise in the world. And you know this, even at your 16 year old age, and you go, okay, cool. I don't really have to like wearing the name tag. I don't have to like wearing the paper hat. I don't like the polyester uniform they put me in, but this is the number one franchise model in the world. There's got to, they have to be doing something right. Like, so I became really aware just watching the process layouts and how the kitchens are designed. And, you know, they had different size condiment dispensers for the different size burgers and everything was based on efficiency and flow process flow. And so even as a kid, I started realizing this stuff. And so I took mental notes, like what are the things I can apply in my future career? So when I was working in engineering and project management and things like that. Literally some of the lessons I learned at McDonald's at my minimum wage job, making $2 and 50 cents an hour back then, <laughs> I was able to even use today. So be more aware, like you may hate your job, you may hate your boss, but they're probably doing a lot of things right and a few things wrong. Take mental notes or actually take physical notes of what are they doing right? What are they doing wrong? Those are valuable skills that you can implement into your small business. So I will never complain about my oil and gas career because I had processes and systems and leadership and a lot of money invested into me to become the executive that I was able to use that kind of skill and that knowledge base on my small businesses, which made small businesses very simple to me because very complex multi-billion dollar projects or small companies, like very, very easy to me now. So take, take those notes. Like don't, don't, don't waste that corporate experience no matter where you work. I love it. So what made you decide to keep the corporate gig, even though you're making more in the side hustle? Well, the problem is, is that I was also working in an offshore oil and gas role. So sometimes I would disappear from the grid literally for 28, 30 days at a time, maybe floating on a, a pipeline vessel in the middle of the ocean. I might be working in Africa, I might be in Europe, different time zones. And so I had to be able to think about what business models fit my lifestyle at that time. And it didn't have a brick and mortar. It didn't have office hours. It didn't like none of that would have worked for me. I, I couldn't answer the phone during the day. I couldn't answer emails during the day. I had a job. So I started looking online, thinking about how can I build things online that I can log in if I get internet access anywhere. And could I create roles and responsibilities and processes for people to manage that in my absence? And that's what I did is, you know, initially the company wasn't making, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. It was just like a thing that I was building. I wanted to make a an automotive community. It was called ls1tech.com. It still exists. The private equity company bought it. It's still operating. The thing is, is that I had to build these things to fit my lifestyle, just like every one of you have a different lifestyle. And I had non-negotiables and things I couldn't compromise on. So 
by the very basis of doing so, I built a company that didn't require my presence. And I was able to do that. So it scaled and it scaled just from relationships you build and having live events around the country to kind of get people off their keyboards and come network and meet each other face to face. Again, I wanted to facilitate the place where people come to hang out, talk about cars, talk about racing, talk, talk about how to make your cars look cooler, how to become a better driver. They keep coming back because the value proposition is there. Just like we hang out on Facebook or Instagram or social media of your choice, the value proposition, the entertainment, the education, the network, the the community, it keeps you coming back. It doesn't cost you anything to use, but you keep coming back. Therefore, they're able to monetize just like I did with advertisers and sponsors. Nice. So that kind of leads into my next question is how did you build such big communities? Or is it just that car fanatics are car fanatics and they're easy to find and easy to kind of tickle their funny bone, so to speak? So here's the funny thing about entrepreneurs, especially those who haven't started yet. Okay. They're really hard on themselves. They think that they got to be an inventor. They got to come up with something new and get into that blue ocean strategy. You know, we hear these kind of things. So they always think that they got to be the inventor and maybe you're just not creative. Maybe you just, you're not, you don't have that gene. You're just not that creative. So you're really hard on yourself because you're trying to invent something. Well, realize this. Most companies, let's let's throw a data number for you analytical people. 99% of the companies out there are not something new. They're actually just a better or more refined version of something that already existed. You already use products and services that you have some complaint with, or you wish that they would do something to make it better. And you're just living with that, but you're not the one thinking like, man, I could just make this a better product. Now, barring any patent issues or trademark type things, you have to go down that research as well. There's a lot of opportunities for you just to refine and do things better than something that already exists. And my community was not the first one that created. It was just the ones that did exist were not run very well. They're mismanaged. The databases were never backed up. Sometimes all this content that we were creating for free on our time, we would log in and it would be gone, just disappeared, like hard deleted. And we finally approached the guy that was running and we said, hey, we see you have advertisers. We know you're making money. Why don't you do backups and like manage this properly? And instead of taking you know, constructive feedback from his best supporters that were creating his content, he threw an attitude and he said, well, if you think you could do a better job, go start your own website. And it was never a thought in my mind until he said that. It's like, okay, well, I know how All to right. build websites. <laughs> I'm already sure. creating the content for you. Okay, I'll go figure that out. And I did. I bought a book and I read it and I practiced it and I figured out what to do and created it. And since I was the one that was giving value, since I was the one helping people, it was really easy for people to go, hey, Tony's going over there. Let's go see what he's doing. We're just kind of curious. Not that they were all in on the support, but they saw that I was creating things and I was bringing in other people just like me that like to help people and serve other people without any kind of reward system. And we did that for several months and we started to attract advertisers and sponsors and racing events. I mean, Chevrolet, Cadillac, General Motors, all the tire manufacturers, all these performance shops, parts manufacturers, racetracks. They all knew that the community was building there and it just started to grow and grow and grow organically. We never spent any money on ads. We were actually getting paid for those sponsors to bring their audiences to us when you think of it that way. So yeah, it just grew. We never thought it was going to make millions of dollars. That was never the intention. I just wanted to build a cool place to hang out and it just started to grow. <laughs> well, and that's the fun part about cool places to hang out is other people want cool places to hang out. That's right. right. Well, and I think it's so funny that people think that they have to have a unique idea because if we look at what has in the last hundred years has been one of the biggest industries, oil and gas, there really is ultimately no difference between Shell and you know, Chevron. They're just like, it's the same gas. It's the same. <laughs> yeah, the premise is the same. They're even on the same corner on the same block. 
like, why do we get this idea that we have to be unique and entertaining because somebody said, I think it's because somebody makes money on the idea of telling somebody else that they're, <laughs> of, of their uniquenesses. And I'm all for personal branding, don't get me wrong, mm -hmm. uh, because I think that there's a huge difference between the branding of those businesses and if they can hone in on what that kind of, the impression of difference is, <laughs> that it makes a difference in people's minds. Um, but feel free to contradict me on that one. No, I don't have any contradiction. I think that you're right. Like the oil companies, I work for most of them. They're all the same. They just change the logo around. I mean, they're Asian. They're even joint venturing. There's a lot of projects we collaborate with, with each other. And so, you know, the thing about that is I think that the sensationalism around the inventor is because the things that change the, the course of history and the things that are the big breakthroughs in technology, those were something invented. And so they get all the media exposure, they get all the covers of magazines, and it's like the heroic story. And those are fascinating. I love those things. We all get inspired by those things, but that's still like the very, very small percentage of the businesses that exist. I mean, if you look around on things on your desk or things that you use on a daily basis, chances are they're just a little bit more refined and not a lot refined. Sometimes they say the business cases, if you could just make it 1% better in some regard, maybe that's a better price point or better quality or you know, faster to market. There's a lot of ways that we can take advantage of and get ahead of our competitors. So if you can just make a 1% improvement, that's the one thing that everybody kind of gripes about. You may have a viable business in your hands. Love it. So give us an example of a Cinderella story of one of your clients. A Cinderella story. Uh, yeah, I would say that uh, one of my former clients is, her name is Cynthia Thurlow. She was a nurse practitioner. She was really getting tired of the medical procedures. She'd been in there 20 years she started seeing all these prescriptions being written and just kind of thinking like, this is not the way to do it because it was kind of getting people addicted on things and not really healing them. So she's like, man, I, I want to do something else. I want to, I want to change my careers. High paying career, by the way, you know, she had a family, two kids, husband, two, two doodles, you know, two dogs. And, and she came to me and she's like, I, I just want to do something. I want to do something more with the holistic health and things that are kind of natural health. And I want to help women. And I was like, okay, cool. So we kind of made this plan. What, what are we doing here? And now she created it. We, we launched her two different Ted talks. She did one on perimenopause. That one didn't really hit really hard, but she had a lot of expertise. It's like, okay, let's, let's do another one. Like, what do you really love? What do you get excited about? And she said, intermittent fasting. Like, I love intermittent fasting. I've been doing it for years. I've helped all my friends. I've helped all my colleagues. It's like, cool. So we're going to create a, a speech for you to do a TED talk on that. That thing went viral. Millions. Wow. I think it's probably 10 million views by now. It's ridiculous. Now, she's now considered the authority on intermittent fasting. There was a, a Dr. Fung, I believe, that was the, before him. There was a guy that did it years before her. But there was no woman's voice in that that space. And wow. she's like, dude, I... I just it, TED talk went viral. She's got courses now. She, she went full-time probably six months after working with me on her way to a seven figure earning type yearly business. And she's got a huge community of women. She got the, all the blue check marks, big following on social media. And she did it all legit. No fake stuff. No, you know, lack of integrity stuff. Like a lot of people are buying fake followers and fake Forbes council things with their Photoshop on a fake Forbes cover. And like, there's a lot of lack of integrity out there in this world. And you know, she just did it the right way and she knew it was going to take years, but man, that's the result she has now. I love it. That is awesome. Well, congratulations to her. So what are some of the stumbling blocks that somebody might be thinking right now? Oh my God, Tony, I need you in my business so badly. Uh, stumbling blocks, just getting out of your own way. I think most people, especially in the space that haven't started yet, they'll do things like, 
listen to all these podcasts. They'll read all of the books. They'll go to all the business conferences and they'll just take notepads of notes that they never even take any action on. And the thing is, is that one of the biggest regrets we have as business owners or even podcasters is just not starting sooner. So take imperfect action, quit thinking perfectionism is some badge of honor. It's actually, it's something that's going to be a detriment to your, your progress. So just start, you know, I've had people that go, Hey, Tony, I want to do a podcast someday. And, you know, I want, when you, want you as one of my first guests. And it's like, well, what's the date are you starting your show? And they're like, Oh, well, you know, someday it's like, that's not a day on the calendar. I don't have a calendar that says someday. It's like, what's the date. And so they're like, Oh, how about three months from now? It's like, how about next week? And they're like, Oh, I don't know if I could do that. It's like, you're already talking yourself out of it now. So what's the difference here? Like you can actually use your phone, pretty easy to use a webcam. There's sites like anchor.fm where you can actually upload it today. Like you could let anyone watching this or listening can go start a show today and actually have it out there and showing up on the different platforms today. And so it may not be perfect. It may not have the cover art that you want. You may not have the theme song all picked out and everything buttoned up and it's perfect. You don't have the backdrop built but start and refine as you go. The best entrepreneurs I've ever met, the people I work with, they basically just learn as they go. They don't have all the answers. I didn't have all the answers. I didn't create an LLC till months into that business because all of a sudden it was making more than my salary. And I was like, oh crap, this is like a real business now. Like I need to go figure out what a real business is supposed to be structured like and how to make sure I pay my taxes and do all these things. So we learn as we go. And that's the best type of entrepreneur. So quit thinking you got to prepare, read the next book, listen to the next show. All that's a bunch of excuses because there's some kind of self-doubt that you have in your mind that you need to get through. Love it. So I know our listeners are going to want more from you. How do they start that journey? You can easily find me at my my website's 365driven.com. So 365driven.com. And that's also the name of my podcast and you'll find the book and the, all the social groups there. But yeah, I look forward to hearing from you. Love it. I love it. So I get to ask you, at what point in life did you know that you were a special kind of crazy enough to think that you could become an entrepreneur? I think the early part of my days, I was the kidpreneur. I mean, we just called it a hustle. I, I mean, I didn't grow up with any money. So if I wanted a skateboard or a video game or a BMX bike, my parents weren't going to give me that. We didn't have allowance. They didn't have money themselves. So I was mowing yards in the neighborhood and I was knocking doors, raking leaves, washing cars. And then I was a pretty good closer. It's like I would knock on the door and I say, hey, it looks like your lawn's a little tall. You know, I'll mow your yard for $10. And they're like, oh, I'm not interested. And it's like, well, can I wash your car for $5? Not interested. Well, if you, I hear a dog back there. I'll go walk your dog for a dollar. You know, I'll take it around the block. And so eventually they just saw that was really persistent and they would just be like, okay, <laughs> just, just do it. Just go rake the leaves or, you know, and, and it's fine. It's like, so... But the thing is, is like, if you do a good job, that goes back to like I talked about McDonald's. If you do a good job and they see that they're actually paying you less than the value you're providing, hint, hint, they're going to keep coming. You're going to keep coming back. So I had a bunch of yards in my neighborhood that I could go mow. And that's all I had to do was I just mowed yards on the weekends. And so that as a kid, I didn't know that was entrepreneurship. It was just that's how I bought things. And by the time you were done hustling the block, you had six dogs with you and going door to door. That's it. That's <laughs> it. I, remember, I really remember my, my friends would ride their bicycles and they would see me mowing somebody's yard on the other side of the neighborhood and they would laugh at me. They would say, what are you doing, Tony? That's not even your house. Why? Because they had parents that gave them everything. See, they didn't get what I was doing. Love it. Love it. Tony, you've been absolutely awesome. Any last words for our peeps? 
No, I don't have any last words, but I appreciate the opportunity. And it's it's been a lot of fun. And the good questions has been it's been a good interview. Nice. Love it. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. And I know how valuable it is. Thank you, Michelle. Peeps, this is Michelle Nedlek. Thank you for being here with us today. Be sure to subscribe to the show and share it with your friends. We love helping entrepreneurs grow. Thank you for listening to 7 to 8. If you're interested in upping your speaking game, be sure to connect with our guests with the links in the show notes and connect with me to see how we can help you get your tech done for you and help your speaking dreams come true.